And we're live. So everyone, welcome to Red Pill Rejects, our first pilot episode with Dr. Paul and Mitch. Over to you both. Thanks a lot, Ruckus. And welcome, Mitch. Uh, I'd like to launch into this uh, first podcast of Red Pill Rejects with kind of a bit of a monologue if for a minute um, to talk about what's my understanding of, of uh the topic of red pill and, and kind of what's brought us here today to uh, try and engage a different dialogue and a different way of seeing ourselves as men in this expanding uh, world that we live in. Uh, and so one of the things that uh, when I started talking to Mitch about uh, connecting in this way, uh, one of the things that came to mind and kind of reminded me when I started looking at the kind of early core tenets of red pill was it reminded me of uh, work done by Robert Bly in the 90s in his uh, book, The Iron John. And I recommend picking that up if you haven't and giving it a read. It's a very interesting uh, look at where we were, you know, uh, almost 35 years ago in, in pursuit of trying to understand men and, and the needs of men. And in his, in his book, one of the, the he, he came up with kind of four ideas and, and one of those was, uh, in his mind, was to embrace the wild man, accept the more primal nature of masculinity. Really just trying to get, because the 90s were seeing the kind of uh, third wave feminism that was, was starting to really gain traction. And, and men were already at that point becoming marginalized and in, in, as, as just overly privileged, kind of uh, entitled uh, uh you know, almost babies to a certain extent. <laughs> and so he was really looking to kind of drive men to that idea that they could be something better and, and something, something different. And uh, so that was one of his, uh, his early tenets. Another one was to seek initiation and rites of passage. Hmm. <clears throat> there's, no, there's nothing really that advances men into transitional periods, whether it's between puberty and, and early uh, teenage life from teenage life into early adulthood and early adulthood into adulthood. There's, there's no real structure for that in mm. Western culture. And he felt like that was really missing. And, and so the idea of, of, of initiation and passage or transitions is something that uh, some of my work is focused on creating for people. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of writing narratives or creating narratives for your life, uh, he also was talking about exploring the inner world, that self-reflection part that, w that we talk about a lot in, in the work that I do and in creating kind of an understanding of your emotional structures so that you can delay gratification and create alternatives and, and look for opportunities to move in, and speak and, and live differently. Uh, he also talked about uh, connecting with, with male role models, something that, that Mitch and I have talked about a lot and, and in terms of creating opportunities that way um and finally one of the things he put on the table was challenge social expectations and norms so resisting that pressure to conform and to narrow limiting stereotypes etc um and so i'm not sure so that to me was kind of the foundation of my understanding as a young man of masculinity hmm. and and ran into that that also at the same time that really powerful uh, uh, form of feminism that was really looking to kind of um, 
put put men in a less threatening box, if you will. Yeah. And, and so, you know, one of the things when I started looking at at early red pill stuff was that uh, it was really trying to do the same thing. You know, it was looking at self improvement and personal empowerment, taking control of your lives, uh, assert needs and desires. So vocalizing what's important to us and how we process things and at seeking personal growth through that process. In addition, like building confidence through the pursuit of personal goals, as well as developing social skills to navigate relationships. Now, I think if, if everything would have kind of stayed in that framework, uh, we'd be it fine. Would have, it would be fine. I mean, I think we'd be in a lot better place, right? you know, because I think what was really, you know, in, a, in the political kind of uh, demographics of the red pill, it was really seeking to like, push back against the mainstream narratives. And if you watch any kind of commercial television, you'll see advertising that paints us as like buffoons. Like we can't, we can't do anything right. We can't, uh, there's like a, an insurance commercial where the guy's trying to hang a backboard and, and the kids are like, that's not right. And this wife is like, that's not right. And then it, you know, the whole thing falls off and the, everybody's like, well, there we go. Dad's an idiot. And, <laughs> and, and that just seems to come through, you know, the, dads don't know how to order food at McDonald's and dads don't know how to do this and dads don't know how to do that. And so the idea that we have uh, any kind of strength in the role models as far as across culture or media culture to to support young men in, in understanding their identity is just ludicrous. It's just not there. And and even, even harder is this uh, kind of current uh, negative context for men in terms of toxic masculinity and and you know, if you think or speak out, you're just flexing your privilege. Uh, you know, you shouldn't be able to like have standards. You shouldn't be able to have uh, things that you're willing to do and not willing to do. And so, you know, I really felt like it It was really uh, the the idea of the red pill was really solid. Hmm. You know, the, the well, problem is. is Paul, that can I interject ran, for yeah. one second? The, the, yeah, sure. the reason why the red pill is successful is because it's a praxology meaning it's not a theology. It's not something that has been passed down from uh, religious people from thousands of years. It's literally just, it's a study of whatever mm -hmm. works. And then people write down, hey, this worked, try this out. So it's a study of things that work. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 would, I would agree with that, except for the fact that it's, that it's lost its way then in some way. Either it was pulled in a different, if that's the well, idea that we're going to no. add information, it's just kind of pulled off track. Well, what happened is people figured out what works. And the problem is what works right now is very cultural. And it's connected to the way that people date online. And it's, it's, it's a fad, basically. And it's going to pass in time. And it already has. So now these young yeah. men, they get to the red pill. And then they learn, oh, you have to learn game. And they try and learn game and they try and update their Tinder profiles and it doesn't work at all because they're not authentic human beings and the girls pick up on that and they don't want to hang out with them and they don't want to see them and they can't get dates at all. And so the whole idea of game is out the window because they can't even utilize it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the challenging piece to it is the idea of, number one, what are we using for metrics to evaluate whether something works or not? And then the idea of, of game. So if game game works for for let's say a percentage of men that that are talking like that it's effective, is that percentage reflective of 
men in general. And I think it, well, just, it, it ends up running into problems. Right? Yeah. The, the issue is game only works if you're an attractive male who is very confident and likes himself. Mm-hmm. And that's the part they don't tell you in the red pill. They try and help you to have the password, right? To say things and to know what to say at the right time and a strategy and how to deal with women. It doesn't work if you don't like yourself. So a bunch of men become disenchanted very quickly when they learn all of the right things to say, and then they get in front of a girl and the girl really doesn't like them. And the reason is really simple. Women pick up on energy. They're very similar yeah. to the way animals are like dogs. know if you don't like dogs and they're like, Oh, this guy doesn't like dogs. And they're very concerned with you now. And if you're very comfortable with dogs and you go over and you put out your hand, you do it the right way and they sniff you and you integrate properly, then the dog's like, Oh, this is a dog person. And they're very happy and they're cool. And girls can very much quickly pick out with intuition and, and figure out whether or not you're comfortable or not. They can decide that in a moment's notice. They're very intuitive beings and they're much more intuitive than men are. Well, I, I, would, I would agree in the sense that they are uh, pursuant of a different goal. Their goal is one that's generally oriented around safety and security. Yes. And, and as long as you can establish that, so I think that's where the misconstruing can come in is because that the idea that somehow like a, a, a quote unquote, because I'm not I don't bind by these, but this dominant alpha power guy is going to create safety and security. And I, and I think that what's what often is understood is they don't because they have they the guy that you just explained would have huge numbers of opportunities. And so he just flexes that opportunity, which is instability in the eyes of women like they can't nail it down and feel safe and secure with it yeah and so, so then eventually it sours they, they just it won't work it so, doesn't hold so, what, you, what you're describing is a thing that i've called bad feels so there's a bad feelsometer and if a mm. girl has bad feels throughout the date and you end and that's how she feels at the end is like uh-huh. wow out of like one to ten i had a seven or a six on bad feels and i had a one on good feels so if there was like a metric to manage those ideas. If you leave a date like that, a girl will never talk to you again, regardless. doesn't matter because she left with a bad feeling and girls are all about feeling and emotion and how they feel leaving the date means everything. If they left the date feeling good and they felt happy and they felt safe right. and secure and they felt like they could share with yep. you and there was vulnerability and you could connect with them and they felt like they knew you, now they want to meet with you again. And it's not because you had great game. It's simply because you were available and you made them feel safe enough to share with you who they actually are instead of giving you a fake version, which is what typically happens on first dates. People present to you whatever they think that you want to hear instead of actually showing the real version of themselves. And and I think that's a really good point. And I think that speaks to the idea of if if I have a sense of what those feels are or, or in general what they're directed towards, then I can create uh, through my language and through my uh, body, I can create safety and security or positive feels for that individual. And I yeah. think that, that they, that has to be, that has to be held in an idea of respect. If I, if I'm looking at this individual as someone to use or abuse and see, that's the complaint. That's the external complaint of, of red pills that it re you know, it's a, it reinforces oppressive, you know, masculine gender norms. And, and I think that, uh, in some ways, if, if we go off of what you're talking about, if I just learn the thing, if I use the code, if I get the right handshake, then I get in the door. 
that there's no respect in that framework. There's no consideration of the individual. And I think when we're talking about being self-reflective men, when we're talking about being emotionally stable and, and being able to compel through our leadership to, to connect with others, we do that through that, uh, that, that conveyance of safety and security. Yeah. You, should, you should listen to me. You should connect with me. You should pay attention to what I'm talking about because with me comes that, that, right. that sense, right? Right. Whether and it's Paul, financial security or whatever. Yeah. And, and the way that men oftentimes connect in the red pill is really successful. It's with a very specific type of person. It's someone who has very low self-esteem, someone who is like basically predator bait. And if you can go out and say the right lines and not make them feel comfortable, but they feel a bunch of red flags, that's when these girls tend to connect with people because they're connecting to red flags and emotional boundary crossing things where you're getting deep into stuff that you shouldn't be getting deep into right away. And they're attracted to the instability. They're not attracted to the safety. They're, they're attracted to the red flags, in fact. And that's when the red pill is devastatingly effective because it's connecting with women who have serious emotional trauma and they're kind of preying on them. And I'm speaking from experience. When I've okay. found really easy connections with women, it's specifically because they have trauma, they have problems, and it's they're looking for that instability, that really bad relationship that gives their dopamine a rise. Uh, mm -hmm. They're looking for that. And so if you can come across as that really instable person who's going to show up and then not show up, maybe be there, you know, they kind of get addicted to that. And that's when the red pill is really successful. Yeah. And so how do you feel like that, that leaves you when you get done with, with a date like that? Does that, do you feel empowered by that? Did you feel like motivated to, you know, continue that process? Yeah. What ended up happening for me, it was very hollow because you have these connections that are so easy and they come so, um, it's like free basically. And intimacy should not be free. Intimacy should come with a big paywall and there should be some work mm -hmm. involved and you should never be able to connect with someone on a physical level unless you've connected with them on an emotional level, at least at a very minimum. And sometimes people jump into the emotional realm really soon and it feels like you're safe. It's like, okay, we've jumped into the emotions. We did all that. Right. I guess it's okay to have sex now. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the problem is that we, Oftentimes we get on dates with people and now mm -hmm. we're talking about divorce. We're talking about exes. We're talking about children and things get really deep, really quick. And those are the types of conversations that lead to serious big feelings and big feelings typically end up in sex. And so if you follow those general strategies of connecting with the woman and leading her through a storyline of who you are, making them feel comfortable with you, then when you propose the idea of, hey, do you want to come home? They're like, where's home? Oh, it's actually right around the corner. And it seems like a safe idea because right around the corner, right. there's no right. driving. You, you kind of take away all the safety concerns and you say, by the way, you should probably text someone. Here's my address because you never know. You could get kidnapped. Everyone has a laugh. But then sometimes the girls actually do text someone and like, or they say, I already did text someone before I went on the date because I do that. And then you congratulate them and say, good job. That was smart. You should. So it's really effective at um, connecting with people emotionally quickly. But at the end of the date, uh, <laughs> you're left with like a, a veneer of a, of, a, of a real relationship. It's pretend. 
and there's no actual real foundation left. What you have is a bunch of fake feelings that you manufactured. And if it ends in having a physical relation, then you have a whole bunch of hormonal stuff, which feels like real stuff, but it's actually not. It's fake. So when people commit too soon physically, they end up just get, they flood themselves with hormones and, and drugs, you know, like endogenous drugs that make you feel really connected and really good. That, that's a, that happens. Mm-hmm. But would you say that the victory of, of scoring and, and kind of that is, is the thing that empowers like future kind of behavior at that level? Well, yeah, because if you go out and you, you know, you get what you wanted, then it does. You're going to repeat that behavior, of course. So people learn what works and they use what works. So I've done this with people. I've actually brought them from a place where they could not talk to women. They had really nice profile pictures of them working out and all this stuff, but girls couldn't connect with them. And then once you teach them the basics of how to connect with someone and then they get on a date, and they run through a couple of those, then you can mm-hmm. kind of work out the details of how to work the situation. They can figure out where the failure points are, and then you can kind of help them figure out how to not do those things. Do, have you have you had a sense that that then creates good relationship, or is it just that really it gets the, you know, when the goal is to, is to connect or score or whatever that may be, the, the, I'm wondering if like closing it and into a relationship, you know, kind of can, you know, that other, if that's actually so, successful <clears throat> with that framework. Yeah. So it does work in that framework, but it's much more, it's, it's much, it's rare. It's pretty uncommon. Yeah. A lot of the guys who are using this strategy are people who are not looking for long-term relationships. They're looking for a series of very short-term relationships and usually multiple relationships at the same time. But the people who want long-term relationships, they typically fish in different places. They don't go to bars. They go to churches, coffee shops, look for stability, people who have jobs, people who work out, things like that. So it really depends on how the people are pursuing these things and what they're looking for when they're pursuing it. So would you say that it'd be reasonable that that shifting the goal or shifting your focus as you're entering into connection with with women might produce better relationship results. Yeah. So for example, when you meet a woman and you hang out with her for the first time, maybe don't have sex with her as an idea. And a lot of guys, that's a foreign concept. That's weird for them. Like, yeah, maybe don't do that. Maybe wait a few times, maybe hang out with them, get to know them and see if you actually want to mix your energies up together. Yeah. Because that, that's interesting. Cause it touches on something I've experienced professionally, which is that uh, oftentimes I think, when when men sleep with women on the first date, they give away their power. Mm. That that ability to withstand the emotional, right? To withstand the lure, to be a bit uh, more focused, not aloof, just more focused on a more intentional direction, yeah. rather than scoring, can create uh, mystery. It can create a, like almost a um, a barrier to admittance. You know, it's like. You have to you have to spend some time with me to get access to what yeah. I bring to the table. Right? So we call that a slow play and a fast a fast play. So if you're looking for a fast play, it probably yeah. will burn out quickly. If that's what you're talking about before, there is a correlation with yeah. fast plays and burnouts because yeah. if they start fast, they typically burn out pretty fast. And so when I tell guys if they're looking to get into a long term relationship, that's why I say go look for church girls because you're not going to have sex in the first night. Like that's not going to happen. 
Uh, you typically find, I mean, it could happen if, if you're, you know, <laughs> depends on who you're meeting. <laughs> but in general, if you're not trying to have sex with these women on the first date, it's really easy to, to not do that. And that's what I recommend, guys, if you're if you're looking for a deeper connection and you're not looking for just getting rid of some hormones for the night, then definitely slow play it. Take your time. Get to know each other. Do a couple of dates. See if you actually really like each other before you decide to get physical. That's my suggestion. So do you feel that that that's something that might be essential to that is like good self-awareness? Like you have to know yeah. where you're at. You have to know where you're coming from. You have to know what matters to you. Yes. You have to right have some sense of your overall uh, capacity as a as a man, right? To kind of hold ground and and be uh, be seen as something consistent, or you know, because then I'm like if we're if I'm thinking a longer play or slower play, then. I have to know that I'm going to be talking tomorrow or the next day. And, and the stories I might tell on the first date, they better yeah. be consistent because, yes. right. Cause now if I, if I understand the other side, then she's looking safety and security. So she's tracking all that stuff. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, oftentimes what works best with women, if you're looking for long-term relationships is to literally push them away and don't look for anything specific, just Put your arms out like this the whole time and create a little boundary and keep them over there and then talk to them a whole bunch, learn everything you can about them. And by creating that distance, they're going to want to get closer. That's just the nature of things. If you push someone yeah. away, they want to push against you. They want to get closer. If you pull people in, you know what they want to do? They want to push you away. That's the nature of jujitsu. Whatever you do, you get the opposite reaction. So if you want someone to get close to you, you push them. They get real close. Yeah. And that's one of the red pill tactics that actually does work is the, this idea of push pull, which is, you know, can be really toxic uh, in push pull relationships. If you know what I'm talking about, where the person is using that to kind of control the other person. Uh, but in general, though, there is a natural push and a pull of every relationship. And if you create too much push, uh, the other person doesn't have an opportunity to respond. You overwhelm yeah. them. Do you, do you have a sense of what, what like kind of personal qualities of an individual would be necessary to maintain that kind of distance or that kind of right? Because there's a there's a give yeah. and take to that. I can't I can't hold out here with no empathy, with no sense yeah. of connection because I have there's right they're almost too far for me to get a good feel off of. Yeah. Like I have to like kind of keep them. I have to be able to adjust that right. Wouldn't you say in order to be able to like be able to have a, to keep them really connected and really us really engaged with them. Yeah. So I'm just wondering what kind of personal characteristics you found would be successful for that. What personal characteristics would be successful yeah, in like terms if, of like modulating? Were, well, no, if you were, yeah, right. In, in terms of modulating, if you were going to talk to somebody and you were to say, Hey dude, uh, it'd be really good if you develop this characteristic, mm. uh, or, or amplify this part of your personality in order to be able to modulate this. Cause you're, you got her too far away. And then when you tried to reel her back in, right. it, it, you, you had to work way too hard. It looked desperate then. Yeah. So a, a really simple way to do it is the amount of questions that you ask versus, mm. uh, how many, or, or rather the questions versus the, the answers that you give, you don't want to be talking too much. If you're talking too much, that means you're over investing, right? So it, the person who's investing the most typically has the least amount of power in that relationship. So if you're trying to get someone to get close to you, 
you probably want to pull back, which means you're getting more power, which means you're talking less. So in terms of right, um, but, but so, but ratio, so but there's something to that though, right? So if I'm pulling back, I can't just pull back and leave them there. Right. I, I need them to 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 lean to start to lean in, right? So start to come towards me. So it just seems like a sense of like. Uh, I said it earlier, like empathy. I want to I want to be mm. able to ask questions or be connected in a way that shows that I have a sense of who they are as a right. person or how they may feel about something. You know, you, you mentioned earlier curiosity, and I think curiosity is a skill that has to be learned. And I don't think it's something that's taught very much to, you know, people and uh, young people or people over the last 20 years. It's just yeah. like how to be curious and how to do that in a verbal way. Right. Okay. I can so think curious things, but, now I'm yeah. tracking with you. Now I'm following okay. wh what you're saying. So there's a really good book I read, how to win friends and influence people. And the idea is you learn how to ask really good questions to people. So they'll tell you all about themselves. And that's yeah. really what you're doing on a first date is you're learning how to ask really good questions, which you've been doing so far. You've been asking me a lot of questions, which is teasing out information to help you have a conversation with me. And that's all a first date really is. If you want to learn about someone, you ask really good questions. So being inquisitive yeah. or being curious, that's a great characteristic. So there's two things to that, right? There would be an un the ability to ask questions has inside of it uh, kind of a sense of your own dialogue, like being able to speak. You know how you speak. You know how to talk. You know how to frame ideas and questions so that somebody can follow you or you can use language to entertain or inside in some ways uh, intrigue someone else right so i could be curious about you but i could also create an intriguing thing like why did he ask me that and what does he hope to get from that and where are we going with this conversation mm -hmm. those kinds of things draw in right if i right. yeah yeah hmm. okay interesting yeah because i think the 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 ideal or the idea of participation, right? They, if, if there's a sense that I can say some things and, and everything falls in the line, I don't really, I'm not really participating in that exchange. And, and so I think that the, the, the self-awareness brings to us the idea that I know myself well enough and I know what's happening for me that I can participate with confidence. It's, I don't have any anxiety over where you might go with the conversation because right. I know that wherever we, when we get there, we'll just talk about the things that are interesting to us. Right. right. I, I have a sense of my own kind of capacity that way. And so I think instilling that uh, is something I've found is, is really challenging for, for young people. Yeah. Because steering a conversation and bringing people down a pathway that you want to go and feeling comfortable in that conversation is something that I didn't learn until I was in my, you know, early thirties, maybe. Mm -hmm. maybe late 20s. It, it took yeah. me a really long time. Learning just how to make contact and have a proper conversation with someone was something that took me you know, a long time into my mid-20s. It was really bad. But I probably had autism, which I think honestly might be a huge problem within communication uh, for a lot of our young men, especially in the Gen Z folks, is this whole ADH culture, uh, ADHD and like autism. Like Most of the people I talk to seem to be on the spectrum in some way, shape or form. And that really inhibits the way that you communicate with people. The social skills are poor. People just interact with computers. That's what they're good at. They talk yeah. to computers, not people. 
Yeah, and if a computer doesn't do what you tell it to do, you just fix the code, and it does what. Then it, you know, right. you just have to be smart enough to fix the code or or whatever. You know, yeah. Well, you know, that's uh, you would you would ask me earlier, like, you know, what is like healthy masculinity, and how does that help? How does that? How does all these pieces kind of fit together for that? And and I think that. I'm not sure because because the idea of, of how do we frame that and how do we develop that uh, has been something that's really been challenging the field. Like my field of counseling is is and psychology has really been kind of stumped about what to do with uh, masculinity. Uh, in most universities, it's a it's a hot potato. Like if you start talking about masculinity and you start writing about it and advocating for it, uh, you're not going to be working there very long. Um, recently I was listening to a guy talk from the UK who was, who spent eight years trying to get a division of the, uh, the British psychiatric association to acknowledge men's mental health issues because there was so much pushback. Yeah. The idea that men could have some form of mental health issue that, uh, was, was not unique to them, you know, and. You mentioned the autism spectrum thing. So <laughs> over the last, in my career over the last 20 years, the idea of autism and autism spectrum has changed so much that then in the last rewriting of the, the diagnostic manual, uh, they got rid of things like Asperger's. Hmm. And they, just they just created this kind of amorphous spectrum. And I, and I think that's because of the fact that the the prevalence of spectrum or spectrum E or spectrum type personality presentations is so high uh, that they just, they could, they just had to blur it and, and, Oh, you know, it's kind of like not knowing how to be do those social situations and, and self soothing rather than engaging someone and withdrawing from complex situations where they, you might be overly stimulated. And, you know, I, I just think it's, it's, uh, it's probably two thirds of the people I talk to have some form of that, that process <laughs> that, that they feel overwhelmed. And yeah, kind of that's me all day. And so I, I recently listened to a Huberman podcast where he talks about different ADHD medications and things that you can do to kind of like really help with just the, the basic cognitive functions that I'm, I'm lacking, you know, like uh, having an admin assistant would be great for me. So I have my <laughs> yeah. wife, she's my admin assistant. But I should probably, you know, hire an AI at least, or get something to, to help with my yeah. schedule. Yeah, I haven't had a chance. That one's in my queue. I was really fascinated by. Uh, I'm really hoping to get his his take on modafinil and and just the uh, the overall use and and structure of of Adderall. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've worked in the field long enough that I'm pretty adept with Ritalin and and the base understanding of even Adderall, but. Um, I still think that one of the biggest challenges with that process is with using medications is that they don't know exactly how they work. They don't, yeah. they don't understand the mechanisms and processes. And so I think we're really stuck with having to develop character and, uh, personality adjustments, basically coping mechanisms, uh, in some sense, defense mechanisms as men to be able to manage and, and prosper in the current culture. You know, it's it, it, unfortunate as it is. I think you can be all as alpha as you fucking want to be. Uh, the system's not set up to support you. No, and, it's really and not. It, uh -uh. 
I found out the hard way. I went to battle in the court systems and trying to be as nice as I can. I actually went beta strategy, which is don't do alpha anything. Just be really nice and appease the courts. And do, it doesn't fucking matter. They don't care. They go with mom. Mom could yeah. be a crackhead. They don't care. They're going with mom. And yeah. my wife can attest to this. Uh, she watched me battle in the courts and I, I sunk in, you know, maybe, I don't know, $50,000 in the past three years. I'm all done. I've had enough. That was a good run. Tried. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you've been yeah. with me for what, at least six months now. You know how much yeah. money, I mean, how much time I've spent, how much energy. It just doesn't work. You're set up to lose. Yeah. So we have a couple of questions coming through, but one of the questions right. I had was, uh, why do you think Gen Z men in specific are rejecting the red pill advice? Like they're coming to the red pill and they're leaving in like in droves, it seems. And the re- these Gen Z kids cannot connect with women. What do you think is the, the contributing factor and why are they abandoning it? Well, you know, I think one of the, one of the challenges, uh, and this comes out of some, uh, some I believe the guy's name is, uh, uh, where is it? It's in my head somewhere. I think it's Metch is his last name. He did he did some of the original uh, studies on on wolves, where the alpha male mm. dialogue came out of. And one of the things they found is his his research w- wasn't wasn't right. It's not that the structuring of alpha male as an idea is a, isn't accurate to what actually happens within a wolf pack for the dominant male. Uh, is that that dominant male? spends more time throughout the process of any given day taking care of little ones <laughs> taking care of taking care of the elderly dogs yeah. making sure they're fed wow. he makes sure when they're moving that there's no stragglers so and, that's that's a huge ahead. point the alpha wolf everyone thinks the alpha's out in front nope at the back nope. you know who's he out never, front he never leads he never leads when the when the pack moves he's always at the back Who, who's at the front though uh, it depends. It's usually one of the junior wolves. It's someone slow as fuck is who's out front. You know who I put out front when we go hiking? I take a six-year-old, I give him a <laughs> GPS and I say, all right, you're on point, bud. We walk as slow as that exactly. six-year-old. And yeah. I come in the back and I just make sure everybody's going the right direction. And we get to certain points and I say, what does it say, bud? And he's like, I don't know. I can't read maps. I'm six. And we go from yeah. there. So, so I think, you know, that speaks to the idea of why this doesn't work. Yeah. That, that you realize you begin to realize that but that dragging everybody down the street uh isn't going to advance number one your group isn't going to be successful and and number two you you're going to be resented and and there's going to be bitterness around you because you're going too fast you're going too fast you're insensitive you 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 don't listen you have all, all the ideas you know uh and there's just it's just a recipe for deterioration and and rust and mm. things to your relationships to slowly crack and get brittle. Yes. And I, All right. So and, and I think that's what they're realizing. So I found out the hard way. I have taken people with me to go hike Mount Washington. I've hiked Mount Washington like five times now, and I brought people wow. with me. I brought my son. I brought one of my really good friends who at the time was losing blood somehow and didn't know it. So he was running out of blood and couldn't oxygenate and almost died. But he still did the thing with me. We actually have pictures wow. at the top. He didn't yeah. die. Um, my wife, three years ago, post, um, you know, she just wasn't in the right. It wasn't the right time to go hiking. She just had surgery a year, you know, like a, previous, like a couple months before. 
and she almost died. It was great. It was the, the wrong time to go again. But um, the, the, what I found is you have to go at the pace of the slowest person. If you try and push the pace, you can do that. But you know what's going to happen? The people in the back hate you. Yeah. By the time they find you, they're crying and they want to eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich and they want warm and you cannot provide any of those things as a leader. So now you have to take someone who's really pissed off at you and pissed off the world and get them to continue walking, which is the last fucking thing they want to do. And it's really hard. And I, I learned from that big time because now I know who to bring on a hike with me and what hike we're doing and telling them how to pack, telling them what clothes to wear, telling them what to eat. All that stuff is part of leadership. And if you don't do that, now that person is your problem. Yeah. And it'll be your fault. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think that the, the idea of that, what you're talking about there really speaks to the sense that when things start to, let me just put it this way. In when we're, when I'm working with couples, one of the things I try to establish is, is the power dynamic between them, kind of what they, what they agreed on. I don't know if you know who uh, Gottman is, but he and his wife are kind of the gurus of, of couples counseling. And they always, they said that that couples kind of set the distance between themselves, and then they just they just adjust back and forth on mm. on on that gap. And and he he later in his in, in his career has taught, been talking about the fact that one of those individuals may have tend to have the power to shift that back and forth. And my argument would be that it's not always the man. Yeah, and that and that a true. that a that a strong man can hold his position and allow his partner to be to have that power, Absolutely. have that power to shift and move things and know that from his position as is being in a sense, working with that, that dynamic yeah. exerts huge amounts of power himself and just stability and framework that allows for the, the system, the relationship to gain strength and move in, more, in better and more healthy ways. But I think if you're an alpha guy and you're really just trying to dominate all that, you're never going to get any of that. You're never going to see that nuance or, have any sense of your partner's insecurity. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, that's not a problem with being an alpha male. That's just a problem of being an asshole and not paying attention <laughs> to the people that you're leading. And yeah. that's, that's, um, you can be an alpha male all you want, but you still need to pay attention to the people that you're leading and you need to be sensitive to who they are. And that's part of leadership. And a good leader does that. It doesn't matter alpha beta. It doesn't matter. That's not part yeah. of the equation in my opinion. So that, I think that's what those, those young men are picking up. Yeah. Yeah. And going, this doesn't work. So Ruckus tells me that we have a young man who wants to ask you a question. His name is sure. Tall. And I think Ruckus, Ruckus, can you put him through? All right, here he is. Are we in? I think we only have audio. So, or I'm sorry, there is no uh, video, just audio. So go ahead, Tall. Are we in? Can you hear me? Yeah, bud. Go ahead. All good. I'm real. Hey, uh, nice to meet you, Dr. Paul. Heard a lot yeah, about you. Nice to meet you. Great. So uh, I'm really P. interested, Dr. P. I'm really interested in the uh, push and pull and the relationship dynamic stuff you've been talking about. Uh -huh. So what do you yeah. think a good example of a very stable relationship is for two mature people? Well, can you give me a sense of like what you what you've been working with in your mind? Like what's what's been your kind of framework up to this? My experience is basically uh, everything that Mitch has been talking about. I went through the whole process of uh short-term stuff, short-term relationships. Mm -hmm. And now I'm looking for more long-term stable stuff because I realized all that short-term stuff is unhealthy. It doesn't work for yeah. me. Can you give me an example of a push and pull like that you've experienced? Yes. One of the girls I recently was with, uh, 
I was very distant with her because obviously I was talking to other girls and like being distracted by all that. And the less I would open up to her, the more she would come at me asking me to open up and she would want to come over and visit more because of that. Wanted to hang out more because of it. Yeah. And did that meet your overall goals for that connection with that person? It did not. No, it just, uh, it felt very avoidant. So it didn't feel stable. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I, I go to when I think about this stuff is that, uh, you know, all the, what, 10 years ago, the whole multitasking idea came out, you know, that you can handle all these different tasks at one time. And the more tasks you have, the more efficient you'll be. And, you know, 10 years later, we have the research that shows that with every task you add, your proficiency goes down 40% mm. right out of the right out of the gate. And not only that, but your ability to manage and connect with the previous task is also depreciated by 30 or 40 percent. I can't remember exactly what it was. So you you get this overall drop in capacity and effectiveness of task completion or of task understanding. So the brain is just really challenged. And that's just with like cognitive. I can't remember the test they were using on this subjects, but it was really just cognitive based. And so. Uh, when we start looking at things that are more complex about like relationships and dialoguing uh, with, with the always uh, variating individual like that women can be is the sense that I, I don't know exactly what they're going to say. They're their own person. I have to kind of guess from time to time what's going to land, what's not, especially early on. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm drawing my attention to two or three or four other uh, women, when I'm doing that, there's no way I'm going to be able to manage that with any kind of efficiency or with any kind of sense of connection. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, there's a big push now to monotasking really, you know, which is always the blowback from one thing to another, but the idea of just focusing in on one, in this case, one person. And so when I'm, when I'm working with one person, I'm not texting other people. I'm not, I'm carrying on conversations or something while I'm, you know, texting somebody else. You know, I'm I'm actually present with that person in that framework in that moment, and uh, not looking to. It doesn't mean I don't have other people I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. I just don't overlap them. I really keep a very clear structure uh, of going into it, so that because the thing that 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 uh, uh, Mitch was talking about of 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 keeping that kind of that that connection, but keeping it far enough away so that it's not I'm not overly falling into it, and they haven't intruded so deep into my space that I can't manage it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes a sophistication to it. You have to pay attention to what you're saying and what you're doing, and I think the only way you can do that is if you're kind of singularly focused in that moment. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I agree. Yeah, and so I I just think that if you're if you're finding a lack of connection or you're feeling like they all of a sudden take a right turn and go someplace you weren't expecting, or now they really want to get to your, you know, they're trying to move it to the next level or understand that as panic. That's just them. They're panicking in the sense that they are trying to establish some sort of connection Mm -hmm. and they can sense that you're not present. And so then they just ramp it up. Yeah. So I have a situation that I can give you a a real example. This happened one time and 
I used to have multiple girlfriends at the same time. And sometimes you'd be hanging out with one of the girlfriends and one of the other ones would text you and want to talk to you. And so what would happen is you're sitting on the couch, you're watching a movie or you're watching whatever. And then you send a text to one of the girls. Now she's texting back and forth and your phone is blowing up and you no longer want it to. You just wanted to respond to one text, but now you're involved in a text conversation. (laughs) And now the person that you're sitting with is now wondering who the fuck are you texting? Like what is going on? I thought we were watching uh, whatever, you know, I thought we were watching the UFC and now you're over here texting what's going on. And then you end it short with that person because you want to get off the phone. You don't want to play anymore. So you right. you abruptly end the conversation. And now the person thinks you're mad at them. And right. that makes them want to talk to you even more because they feel right. like, oh, you're clearly hanging out with someone else. Something else is going on. And they feel that. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this yeah. happened to me. And I actually had to end the relationship right then and there. Because the person got so overly concerned about my well-being that they were calling me and texting me. And I declined all of those texts and phone calls because I was with someone else and I was doing something else. And it actually it killed my relationship. So what I learned is it's best not to have multiple people you're talking to. And if you are going to do that, that you should tell them that you're going to be busy and put your phone somewhere else and fucking don't text them. Yeah, at the very least, your fucking notifications on mute. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. you know, don't, don't be a newbie about it. Like, right. you know, <laughs> use some sophistication. So I think if you, if you're disrespecting women, then you're not doing that. You're not putting your phone out of reach. You're not blocking your notifications. You're not telling the other people to like, hang on, don't, you know, I'm going to be busy tonight. Uh, or you're not even saying, look, I'm talking to multiple people. And I think that's where we get back to like, if, if you want to, if you want to roll this way, in my opinion, then own rolling this way. Mm. Just fucking show up, right? Talk about it. Put it on the table right out of the gate. And I know there are women out there that'll be like, well, I'm out then. It's like, okay, fine. There's a gate that you have to get through to get to me and what I bring to the table. Right? I mean, that's that's what we're working with. That's what we're talking about. Right there. That piece. There's a gate. There's a moat. And you must cross that moat in order to get my time and my attention. And multiple other people might want that time and attention too. I'm going to respect you as, as, as a woman that you hold the keys to your sexuality and who you sleep with and who you don't sleep with. And I'm going to respect that. But I'm also bringing to the table what I'm not. I'm not bringing desperation. Yes. I'm bringing an equally valuable asset, uh, 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 what, access to my time. Yes. Right? You and I have talked about this a lot. Yes. What, if you want access to my time, then fucking behave yourself. Pay you me know? too. And pay me. Which means come through the gate, be right. respectful, be appreciative, value what I do. Yes. You know, I, I heard this woman uh, talking on TikTok earlier that was saying that men are asking to be treated like princesses. And the idea <laughs> that, that we should want to get some flowers or we should want to get somebody to rub our back or somebody would do something nice for us. It's like, well, you're fucking right, I do. Because why? Well, because what you get back in return is my time and energy, which is super valuable. You know, companies pay me for that shit. And, and, I, and that's all my problem solving. That's my dexterity. That's my thought process. That's my physical body. That's all these things come to, in that package. They're not free. And I think that's what's been held in the idea is that 
that all I have to do is blink my eyes and uh, push my tits together. And he's going to do whatever I ask him to do. And I think that that's what I'm talking about getting rid of. There's no self-awareness in that guy. There's no sense of his own control of his emotions. What and, you're describing uh, is a simp. Yep. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a desperation to that. And I think that, uh, as, as Mitch alluded to earlier, there's, there, they smell that. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's just you, you can't go in with that. Well, if you're a simp, they typically walk with like a specific limp. They have like a limp to it and they can tell this guy's <laughs> a fucking simp. And they can smell it on you and they know. Uh, it would be the day I sprained my ankle too. And I walk <laughs> in like that and you'd just be like, oh, that guy's a simp. Like, oh, it's just my ankle. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that was that helpful to all. I just, you know, to. Yeah, very much so. All right, cool. I think we're going to get Parveer on, our uh, Canadian brother. Look at that. He's got a camera, too. Let's go. Hello, man. Welcome. Can you hear me, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. So, uh, Dr. Paul, my question for you is um, how can one overcome the comfort associated with negative habits that often leads to regression when trying to make positive change. Okay. You, Cause so you got a few ideas in that, yeah. that, that question, right? Yeah. And it's not a straight, it's not straightforward, is it? Not really. I don't, yeah. I don't think yeah. so. It never is with this man. Like, yeah. yeah. So do you have a sense of where you're jamming up at? Like what's where you're, where you're missing what you feel like you're shooting for? It just seems generally, for me at least, um, whenever I'm trying to incorporate any positive change, it just mm-hmm. seems that I always end up regressing. I'll do good for a while, and then I'll seek that comfort that I initially had, and then I'll want to go back to that. And I won't be happy with the positive change, even if that has positive effects. I still seek yeah. the comfort from those negative habits from before. Mm, yeah. And so what, what goal do the negative habits currently achieve for you? Let's just assume you're in a negative cycle right now. So what would, what would be actually uh, the benefit of maintaining a negative cycle? You said comfort, but what, is that, what does that bring in, in result of what stress, right? So what are you trying to yeah. soothe? Let me put it to you that way. It, that's kind of a hard for me to answer because I don't really know the answer myself. Okay. That, so that's yeah. that's where I would start. Yeah. It's like, so just as kind of a, a, a global kind of understanding here, anytime I have a mechanism that I'm using to manage something, you know, let's just say it's overeating or uh, uh, I play video games until three in the morning and have to get up at seven to go to work or, you know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not resting properly. I'm not exercising. I'm not eating properly. Let's just say I'm, I'm abusing food. Right. If I'm, if I'm, what I would need to understand is what's motivating you to do that. What's the logic or the idea that you have in your head when you buy those things, the Doritos, and then pound the whole bag of them, you know, in a sitting? What's, what was, what was motivating you to do that? And so, anytime you would find something that you're like, oh, I don't really like that old habit, I would want to know what the habit was doing before. Like, why did I even have that habit? Yeah. Because one of the reasons, one of the things I base this on is humans are very efficient monkeys. 
if we don't, if, if we're not using something effectively, we get rid of it. Right. So let's just say food in this case is very effective. Why? Because I keep it around. I keep doing it. Not only that, when I show some changes, I start to lose some weight. I'm eating better. In fact, I make it a week or two. And next thing I know, I'm right back to the Doritos again. That's yeah. how that's how good it works. So knowing how it works, you know, why it works enables us to then move as we move forward in a recovery process to block it, to, to inject new tactics or new ideas into that. Because there is a, a sense of maybe you're really uncomfortable with, with success. You get some success going, you get some anxiety. This thing, the food was actually managing the anxiety. Right. And so the success shows up and you're like all of a sudden going, oh shit, now I'm doing good. I guess I'm gonna have to keep doing good. Not only do I have to keep doing good, I have to get better. And now all this, there's all this pressure. I start having more anxiety. Well, guess what I'm gonna go do? I'm gonna go buy a bag of Doritos. Right. Right? And so then it seems like I loop back around for no reason. But I would argue there's, there is an emotional tie to that behavior that you're talking about, that you return to. And I would just explore that. I would sit it, you know, write it down, what is it? And then underneath it, just start to kind of list off what, what's, what's drawing me to it. Is it, is it two o'clock in the morning and I'm sitting here by myself and I feel like shit and I'm, I'm tired and I know I should go to bed and what am I going to do about work in the morning? And now I start to get a little anxious. Well, guess who my friend is, Mr. Dorito. I bring him in and he makes me feel better, you know, and then, right. You see what I'm saying? So like taking the behavior and then break it down as to why you would be using it as a tool. Right. Right. Yeah. And so then when we move on from that, then we just build a new set of tools. Yep. So that when you get to that success part, you're two weeks in that at that point, maybe uh, you would reach out to Mitch or somebody and you say, hey, dude, I'm two weeks in. I'm having some success here and I'm starting to freak out that I'm going to fall apart. Right. And we and we talk about it. We get some air in it. We get some, you know, some some uh, mentoring or some peer support or something that helps you feel like, OK, it's just a it's just a stage. I just have to weather this anxiety. I have to get through it. What's my goal? My goal is next week, do the same lifting, same running, whatever it is. And and Mitch is going to check in on me or or my friends are going to like, I'm going to get on Discord. I'm going to say, hey, I'm struggling. And they're going to jump in and, and help me get through that line so I don't go back to the Doritos. <laughs> right? Does that, make, does that make sense what I'm saying? No, definitely. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Okay. I'm yeah. working with generalities because I don't yeah. know you and I yeah. don't know what you're talking about. But And you don't have to out yourself on here. But I'm just saying that, you know. That would be the way I would I would frame approaching it. Yeah, nice. I think the one right. idea that comes to mind is uh, familiarity, and I think anxiety definitely plays a part into it as well, a big part. Well, let's let's just let's go with that. I I, w- I would agree that you're familiar with it. Yeah. But then I would also agree that it, how many times did you do it before you were familiar with it? I mean, mainly for me, it's drinking. It's uh, and. Yeah that cuts me off from like working out doing all right. the positive things. Right. I need Let to me do. just jump yeah. in for a second though. When you started doing it, how long do you think you did it before you became familiar with it as it works for the alcohol works to keep you X, Y, and Z? Quite some time. Really? How much time? A couple of months. Okay. So yeah. that's what you need to get through. 
Yeah. So if, if we're going off familiarity, then the new behavior has to last. You have to get two months in. Right. Not two weeks, not four weeks, yeah. but two months is our threshold. Yep. And then you'll be familiar with it, whatever it is. Going to, let's say it's just going to the gym. Yep. You go to the gym consistently for two months, and I think then you can say to yourself, I'm as familiar with the gym as I am with alcohol. And so fuck alcohol. Right. It's poison. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not using that anymore. I, the gym is my new antidote to feeling antisocial or my, the gym is my new antidote, my new familiar. Yeah. Right. Yep. And it might be that you're hitting three weeks, five weeks, whatever. You're just not quite getting that two months. Yeah. That's what happens. It's uh, those slip ups. You know, you have one slip up, then you're back restarted yeah and so also we need to we need to work in the idea that uh slip-ups aren't aren't a return ticket right slip-ups mean i just lean into my what my schedule yeah right if i if i think that a slip-up is a is a green light to go hit the hit the bottle well you know yeah it doesn't matter what i say or mitch says or anybody says you're gonna go hit the bottle and it just doesn't matter but if you block it, if you're like, look, slip ups don't count. They don't give me green lights for shit except to go back to the gym tomorrow. Right. That's what I get to do because I'm trying to get through this two months. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, right. And so, yeah. you know, if, if, if you have a sense that you're addicted to alcohol and, and you're every day you're putting down, you know, three, four, five drinks or whatever, beers, whatever you're, you're hitting, uh, then you're going to need to get you're going to need to address that with with some form of like CBT or some sort of support to get right. through that addiction. But uh, the habit forming stuff is is uh, you can break that on your own. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I think having support from from the from the tribe here and, and just really being engaged in that and and reaching out. So one of the things Mitch and I were talking about earlier is that ability to talk about what's happening for you. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's been something that's shown up in my practice is is being able to speak about what's going on uh, and owning your position. Yeah. You know what? I'm having trouble with this today. Uh, I'm putting it out there. If anybody got some support? I'd really appreciate it. And you just own it. My and, only, and, sorry. Go um, ahead. No, go ahead. I just have, I have a problem. I don't want to take up too much of the time here. But, You're okay, um, dude. No uh, problem. But, um, I, I think there's a, a feeling of shame associated. Like, I, I I had a therapist even, like, about two years ago. And uh -huh. I would often find myself lying to the therapist because I felt yeah. ashamed because I know I can do a lot better. I know I can do a lot better. Okay. And so let's look at, let's look yeah. at, I want to just jump on that idea of shame. So, uh, I would say, good. Shame's a healthy state. Yeah. Right. So shame shows up after guilt, after I start feeling guilty for what I'm doing. So guilt is an internal understanding of what you're doing wrong. Yeah. And shame is an external one. Like that, that if somebody was to find out that I was drinking like this, I would feel worse. Yeah. And, and so we hide, right? You didn't tell your therapist. You didn't talk about it with family members, whatever. You, you, you hide it. Now, if I'm stuck in shame, then I'm, I'm in a problem. 
because I'm, I'm, I'm spinning in that kind of dark kind of self self defeating idea. Yeah. So if we look at, at shame as a transitional spot, if, if, if all I can think about is the last thing I, about drinking is that I feel shameful about it, then I'm stuck there. What I need to move into is an idea of remorse. There has to be an alternative action to that. Where am I going with it? Where do I want to do with it? So the thing is, I may say, boy, I feel really shameful about the fact that I drank so much last night. However, I'm going to the gym no matter what today, even hungover. I'm not staying here because I, I'm making changes, right? Yeah, if, if you're able to go to that idea or that language of remorse, remorse is what moves us in an action. It takes us in an opposite direction from the shameful behavior. So by remorse, it's not just self-wallowing in the pity or regret or whatever. Yeah, that's, it's counteracting that's with the positive. Yeah, so remorse leads you to action. Shame yeah. leads you to inaction. That's how you know the difference. Right. So just you find yourself out. saying the same thing. If you find yourself saying the same thing the day after you drink, then you're then you're stuck. You're yeah. just yeah. stuck in that place. And so if we think of it in terms of movement, remorse is a thing of I have to have an action. Where am I going? Well, I'm going to the gym because I, I promised myself or my mentor that I was going to go to the gym. And so I go and I and I feel like shit in there. Because I drank, and I feel shitty about drinking, but I'm here fixing. Yeah, right. It's not an it's not a one day thing. Remorse works out over time, right? Because you're gonna what? You might drink again on Thursday, so then you're gonna be fucking right back there again in the gym, working it out again, right? And that's the painful part of recovery, right? And alcohol's ne nefarious, dude. It's nasty ass shit. It's it is a poison, straight up poison. And, and the body knows it, and it really uh, would rather have you not do that to it. Yeah, so everyone who's listening, you guys should go and listen to Dr. Huberman's podcast that he recently did on alcohol. And Ruckus, I think you can, uh, you can link that for the folks. But if you guys haven't heard that, when I listened to it, it pretty much changed the way I think about alcohol. It changed the way I drink alcohol. Yeah. And I stopped consuming it uh, for... To at least two weeks straight after listening to it. So listen to that podcast if you've never heard it because it's extremely informative and it'll give you a real picture as to what alcohol actually does to you. Because most yeah. people don't know. They're clueless, including myself. I thought I knew everything about alcohol and what it was doing. <laughs> then I not, then I listened to that one yeah. and yeah. I learned I learned actually what alcohol does. Yeah. If you're if you're working out and you're drinking, you're crushing your gains by like yeah. 40, 40 some percent each right out of the gate. I mean, you're going in in a deficit and you yeah. won't make that up. Nope. And so uh, you're going to put on weight. You're going to uh, your stress levels will go up. It's it's a uh, it's an immune system inhibitor. It's just it's bad across the board, especially if you're looking to advance yourself and change some some things about yourself. So, yeah, alcohol's out. If you're trying to fix yourself, alcohol's out. Just don't do it. Well, yeah, that's the difficult part. If it's in your system, though, you've got it built into your 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 hardware. <laughs> we've got to get a we got to get it out of there somehow. Yeah. yeah. And so, having an alternative that that you can do that's reasonable for the next two months as a replacement for it. Every time you want to go to it, you got to go do this thing. So it has to be something you can access when you would normally go to booze. 
if you can't get to the gym, then I would say you get out of the house. Like you just can't be, if, if you have a sense that I'm going to go pour a cocktail or grab a beer, number one, that shit's out of your house. It can't be in your house. And, and number two, you, you, if you're feeling that way, then we're going to identify it as an anxiety or whatever you decide, whatever it is. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling isolated. I'm feeling lonely. You acknowledge that, put that out to, to uh, you know, the group and then go for a walk. Exactly. You can, yep. you can access that anytime, anywhere and, and, and do that kind of framework. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, yep. Thank you, Dr. Paul and uh, Mitch. I really yeah. appreciate your answers. Really helpful. Yeah. Good luck, man. And, yeah. and always reach out and, and uh, we're around. Thank you. Yeah. You All bet. Right. All right. So Dr. Paul, that's this guy. I met him for the first okay. time ever on StreamYard, the same platform that we're using. It was probably about two years ago. And his name at the time was Bear Mace. And it was because <laughs> someone in Canada really didn't like him and sprayed Bear Mace at him. So that's where you guys oh, nickname. Kidding. Nope. That's what they do. They spray with their that's, that's not supposed to happen in Canada. I thought they were much nicer up there. No, they're not. So one of the things that uh, we were talking about just a few minutes ago was this idea of accountability, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I actually have an online community that's very small. It's a Discord. You actually just joined it today. And the point of this Discord is for folks to get together and then talk about what they're going to do and then get accountability for it. So the first tiered membership of that is $5 a month. And that's basically entry into the basics of the community. And there's not much past that. Uh, you get a voice channel. You can talk to us. You know, people can join into that. But there's not a whole lot going on. So what we did was we created a tier system. And the first tier gives you basic access. The second tier gives you much more access. It's like general access to the entire community where you can really read all the different channels. And the third level of access gives you uh, an actual coach. And that's where things really start changing. The third yeah. level of support, you get a coach, you get a monthly meeting, and then you get access into everything else. It's like a, another level, which we call the inner circle. And there are inner circles in various different groups. But this one gives you access to all the channels on Discord where we're having all the real discussions. The basic discussions happen in what we call general mayhem. And that's kind of like an open channel for people who subscribe just to kind of right. get connected and get plugged in and talk about who they are and things like that. But then the deeper levels are a tiered membership. So that's one way that we segregate our members within Discord is the tiers. We have three of them. But then we also have a belting system. And you're familiar with jujitsu, so you understand the okay. belting system. So there's a yep. white belt. A white belt is someone that is stuck in survival mode. They have no idea how to run their life. They don't know what's going on. And they are just hijacked all the time, running off of whatever various drugs are coursing through their bloodstream, right? Yeah. That's a white belt. The blue belt means they're no longer stuck in this mode. They've probably gotten some help at some point, or they're doing something to try and mitigate all of this emotional distress they're having, right? So they've learned how to shut that stuff down, and they start to learn how to actually put an offense out to try and attack the world, to try and move through the universe as a man and try and implement some sort of game plan instead of just being a defenseless person who's defending themselves and trying to die, which is a white belt. Mm -hmm. White belt is survival. Blue belt is attacking. Purple belt is the next level, which is basically folks who want to, or rather folks who have the capacity to get to black belt. Those, who, those are the people who get purple belts. We see them as someone who have the ability to get to the highest ranks and they're a junior black belt. 
And they're not just implementing and attacking, they're developing serious attacks. Like well in advance, they have multiple attacks down the line that have contingency plans and they're they're advanced. The brown belts are the, the folks who are seasoned veterans. They've already gotten through the most of the work and they're successful in life. They're happy, they're healthy, and they're on the higher end of Maslow's hierarchy if you're going to use that as a, another way to, to grade people. It's folks who have kind of gotten past the base needs, like the first four tiers are kind of just fitting in, getting your relational needs met, getting your security and safety and your health and all that stuff squared away. Once you're there, you're a brown belt because yeah. now you're attacking the world in a different way and you're right, developing right. and trying to figure out who you are in the next level. And then the next is black belt. Black belts are those who have become self-learners. Those are the people within the community who have decided that they want to help other people learn. And so now the black belts start over. They become learners all over again. And they begin the process again as a fresh new learner because now they're learning how to teach. And when you're a black belt, you're a teacher of men now. You don't have the responsibility of just yourself and your own learning. You have the responsibility of other people. And now it's your responsibility within the community to find other people and to pass on your, your skills, your talents, and mentor other people. So you start over. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so it's, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's really helpful because it works in jujitsu communities because they literally tie a belt around your waist. So in Discord, mm -hmm. we give everyone the tiered membership, which shows how much access you have, which is kind of like a paper paid to play. Uh, it's kind of like in video games, you can buy all the, the stuff, but mm -hmm. the belts actually signify where you are in life. You can't buy those. Those are given out by me and it's discretionary and I give them to you when I feel like it. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. I like that, that trying to work into it. But that idea of what you're actually going towards is, is sharing and bringing your ideas to a, to a deeper understanding within the context of other people's learning. Yeah. That, that I think the master becomes the student, but, but yet teaches as well. Yeah. Well, every jujitsu black belt, you're supposed to become a teacher. That's kind of the goal. And they give you a different belt if you're a teacher versus a non-teacher. But ultimately, in, in my school and where I come from, everyone teaches. You teach at Blue Belt uh, all the way up. I would and think we, so. Yeah. And you and you should be teaching. It's yeah. it's not really a, it's it's not something you should be doing at Black Belt. You should be doing it at every level because you'll have students who are below you that you can help. And so whenever we pair off people in the beginning of classes or if we're doing instruction, we try and get the darker belts to mix in with the lighter belts. If you get all the white belts together, then you get white on white crime and shit gets weird. So you try and <laughs> you try and mix it up with the darker and the and the lighter folks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I like it. I think that's gonna be great. Right. I can't wait to to dive in and be part of it. Yeah, so this is an open invitation to anyone. If you guys would like to join the Discord, we have an entry. There's a, a Patreon that I just created today. Actually, Ruckus created it. I did not. And that gives you access into the community. So if you sign up to that, you're signing up for the same thing. You'll get an in invite to the Discord. And like I said, there are tiers. The second tier gives you a bunch more access than you would normally get. And that's $10 a month. And that gives you calls. Like we do a call twice a month where we get together and we actually have a whole discussion, which is called owning your shit. So everyone has to write a post and own their shit and talk about the things they're doing in their life and give themselves a grade. Like, let's say it's physical. They're working on that. They gave a, a B plus this week on physical because they went to the gym four times and they were trying to go four times or whatever. Right. And they rank themselves on all the different areas of their life they're working on. And then we have a discussion about that. 
and it allows people to have accountability and to get more help and more structure and whatever else they're, they're looking for. And we do that every two weeks. So that's twice a month. And then you also have access to every channel within the Discord, whereas the first tiered membership is pretty basic and you don't get all of it. Okay. So wow. you're a full member, by the way. You get grandfathered in because I, I feel like being generous and you get access to everything. <laughs> and everyone else who's already part of the community, they get the same thing. Uh, the only difference is they're not going to be getting a coach assigned to them on the, the third tier. You get someone like yourself or me or someone else within your collective to assign to them to work with them on a monthly basis, multiple times a month. Good. So those yeah. are the distinctions. It's basically you get more access and more help. It's pay to play, but you'll grow a lot faster. It's just like if you join a wrestling academy and you want to grow faster, they offer you private lessons and then you you get better faster. And the idea is to fire the clients, which is a little bit controversial. My goal is to hire someone or have them hire me. And then within three to six months, fire them and have them ready to be teacher. Yeah. Teacher yeah. ready in six months. That's right? that's what I've always, my, in my private practice, it's always been about making myself obsolete. Exactly. Exactly. So that's when the goal. People, people know when they're done. They just have to, they have to get there. All right. So let's talk about this for a minute. I don't think we have mm -hmm. anyone else who has questions. So let's talk about this one. When you have sure. a client that you no longer want to work with for whatever reason, and the client relationship is done, how do you end it? Well, it's interesting because I don't, uh, I don't generally end it from my end. Uh, mm -hmm. I like to work with people until they feel like they've achieved what they're after. You know, it's a collaborative work that I do. It's not a, um, a system where, uh, like what you were talking about, where there's this levels and a test to kind of pass and a kind of a sense of, of meeting someone's expectations. I don't, I don't particularly carry expectations into the work I, I do. What I do is show up and, and hold space for the client to mm -hmm. work into what they need to be doing. And then I've, I'm, a, I'm not a follower in a sense, but I walk with them through that process. And what I find is that people will start out and will do like kind of traditional therapy and work on therapeutic ideas. But because of working with me and, and following through with me, they, they begin to realize that there's value in the way that I coach as well. And, mm -hmm. and so then we trans, we'll make a kind of a, a recognition, kind of a head nod that we've moved out of therapy and into more of a coaching realm. And I have people I've been working with for, I don't know, three or four years now, um, where the therapy part ended after like probably six or seven months. But the, uh, they've, they've decided to stick on. And when we talk about things that I'm also proficient in, which is, you know, business and business structure, management teams, supervisory relations, uh, promotions, uh, working within projects, project management, that kind of thing, the mental health aspects associated with business and, and founders and startups. And I've been in that framework for, for the last decade. And, and so that, that coaching acumen seems to like really transition yeah. nicely for them. So it isn't, we, you know, and so then it can be ongoing. Like, you know, some people I'll talk to every six months and we'll do a check-in. Some right. people it's every month. But So, it's, so it's that's what it really comes deal. down to, Paul, is that if I want more of your time, I have mm -hmm. to pay for more of your time, which is just right. the, the, the consequence of things. If, and if you, if you want to give yeah. me more of your energy and I want to grow yeah. faster, I have to pay for that. And that's right. just, that's, the pay to play piece is a component, but there's also 
the separate piece, which is it's, it's yours, right? You get yeah. to decide that knob. You like, there's a couple of knobs that you can turn to figure out your growth. One is how much money you invest into it. You can chuck a bunch of money and get a bunch of help, but it's also how much work you do. And if you crank that knob all the way up and you get minimal support, you're going to get fantastic results. If you yeah. get a ton of support and very little work, you'll still get fantastic results, but you're fucking paying a lot more money for it. So if you put in the work, yeah. you get less help, you're going to be fine. Well, and I think that that, that speaks to the, the idea that, you know, I, my my current caseload is somewhere around 60 clients. And so That's and I work, off, I work I work off three platforms. And so the uh, the time access to, you know, yeah. the access to my time is, is limited. And so, you know, when, when you and I've been talking about this, the idea of, of making, working with men a priority and then, uh, uh, granting more access to that, this platform was a, was a really nice way to provide that access. Yeah. So basically it, it, it's helping you with pipeline. And so you don't need the, the same thing and you can, you can give more time to your clients. Mm-hmm because you have more time to, to allocate to that. Well, and I think that, that, that speaks to the idea. I mean, I work with, uh, probably it splits down like kind of normal distribution. I have probably about half women, half men, and, a few, and probably what about a half dozen couples or so that I'm working with right now. And, uh, I, I find that the, the complexity of men's issues really warrants more time. Hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't think men give themselves credit for how complex things are. And especially when you start talking to like high achieving, uh, intelligent men, the, the complexity of the structures they build around them is just amplified by a factor yeah. of whatever, 10 or whatever. Yeah. And, no, every time we talk, I have a bullet point list of all the shit that I want to talk about and I get about one or two done and we have a whole bunch for next time. <laughs> well, it's just, and it's just, you know, as you often find, you know, the, the conversations we end up having around them have to be fairly layered and they have to be fairly deep because- if, if we're not talking on that level, then you're going to get frustrated pretty quickly that the results aren't going to be there. You, yeah. you need that depth. You need that time. And, uh, and I think that's what's not being uh, supported to men um, right now through the current systems of mental health care. I meet so many disappointed men that have, uh, you know, um, and, and I would argue that uh, if Paver's experience with that counselor had been different, that it wasn't so much his feeling like he couldn't talk to the counselor. But my argument went, is that that counselor hadn't earned his trust yet. Yeah. And, and so I would say that's less a problem for Pavier and more a problem for that counselor. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's the difference is, is being able to, to hold space for men and, and, and talk to them in a way that they can translate and work with so- and apply is much different than just like, fluffy validating uh counseling language so this is the huge difference between uh what i experienced with you and what i've experienced with others is this idea of holding space and i wasn't familiar with this term until very recently until i had someone hold space for me and i figured out what that meant and basically holding space for someone is giving them the opportunity to do whatever the fuck they want and you just hang out and watch and you ex- let them experience it. And then if they want to talk to you about it, they can talk to you about it. You're holding space for anything. That's what but, that means. But also, but also that there's a trust there that you yes. understand that I'm going to, I'm going to, 
interrupt you if I need to. I'm going to call you out on some shit that you're doing, some pattern behavior, some negative narrative that you keep spouting off. Totally. You know, that, that that's going to happen. And you know that you can do that in a safe environment. I think but just, point just is, as much that that's important. You know? the, the point is being able to trust the person that you're with, knowing that whatever they're doing is for your benefit and they're not there to hurt you. And that's lost. Yeah. So if you ever do a whole bunch of mushrooms with someone, you want them to be able to hold space for you and not be intimidating or scary or, or, or judgmental or any of that stuff that you, you know, when you have a guide, they're holding space for you and they're just kind of being present. They might call you out on stuff. Sure. That might happen, but it's more, they're just there to make sure that you're a safe place. You're, you're yeah. experiencing good feelings. You're in a good spot. And if you need help, you can reach out and say, Hey, I don't know what's going on here, but I need some help and they can help you through it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting point because one of the other things I do is I teach, uh, I teach counselors uh, at Antioch University. And, and the, uh, one of the things I see that's really prevalent is judgment and bias. And, and that the, when therapists are, are reactive through that judgment and bias in terms of like being judgmental, oh, how many people are you talking to right now? Oh, four, that's, that's rude, that's disrespectful, you should do that. The type of space I hold is like really interesting. How are you pulling that off? What are you mm -hmm. doing to manage that? How successful are you with it? Do you feel like that's gratifying for you? Some of the questions we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, and it's a very different framework than just being immediately somehow chastised or, or feeling like that you're not being uh, supported. Well, here, here's the main difference. <clears throat> when someone's actually holding space for you in a real sense, they fly out to your house and they hang out with you and they prepare you for doing whatever you're doing. That's the most uh, authentic, real sense of holding space for someone because it's physical. And if they need to reach out and touch you, they can. But then there's there are different levels. If you need someone to like, let's say I'm going through a difficult situation. I'm going to book you and say, hey, I need three hours of your time on Sunday. I know I'm going to be going through it and I'm going to whatever. I'm going to need to emote for three hours. If I book that time with you, would you hang out on Discord or whatever chat thing we're doing and just hang out for three hours. If, if that was part of your schedule. Yeah. And yeah, that'd be totally fine. Usually, like, no big deal. Yeah. Right. So I, I know people who, who fly out and they do that in person, but you can also just do it on video chat. You don't have to be in person. Yeah. And the same thing is there. Yeah. The container is still there. I can, I, I can't reach out and touch you, but I can talk to you. I can see you. And honestly, mm -hmm. that's been to me, that's been just as good. It's, it's fucking really close. How about that? Yeah. It's not just as good. Yeah. It, it is really close, you know, but I, I, and I think there's there, but you have to make effort. See, one of the things I think I like about the younger generation of men is that they've, they've experienced things online for a long time. I mean, yeah. that's their whole life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I spent the first 30 years of my life, not even knowing what online was. And then all of a sudden it was there. And, you know, so I think that, that, they have a sense of having relationships and friendships and companionship online uh, that's different than, than that. But I so think you're it's, right. It's though. normal at this point. Mm -hmm. Most of my friends are internet friends that I talk to on the internet and I never get to see or touch. And that's just normal. My business, we currently operate in Zurich, Switzerland. We operate in Ireland. We operate here in Rhode Island and then in Dallas and then also Costa Rica. And then one more in San Francisco. Yeah. So that's our team. And we're all in different time zones. But guess what? We get on video chat and we sync it and we talk to each other. And then every yeah. every three or four months, 
we fly out to a destination and we get together and we can physically touch each other. But those yeah. are those are the in-between. So there are different types of meetings. And that's mm-hmm. the important piece is you you do need the physical close. Like I, I would love to do a podcast with you right here. If you want to yeah. fly out and do one of these days. I'm going to build furniture. I'm going to have a, a like a Joe Rogan studio. I'm not kidding. Oh, I nice. talked about it today. I'm going to build this whole thing out, have multiple mics and chairs and everything. And my my hope is that I can actually have people here to podcast in person. Yeah, yeah. Because an in-person podcast is significantly more powerful than yeah. a per, than a podcast like this. Even though this is phenomenal, right? I'm not trying to detract from it. I'm just saying in person no. it's fucking no, better. You're right. You're right. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think that's the there's We've had to adjust, and I mm-hmm. think through adjusting, we've learned new skills. When I started counseling, the idea of counseling over over internet yeah. was was super frowned on. Matter of fact, it was blocked. Like you had to be in a special room in a hospital, yeah. and and only be able to transmit to another special room in another hospital in order to be able to do this kind of work. And then COVID hit, uh, and everybody freaked out and went online and, and now all of a sudden it's, it's, it's normal. So better help yeah. started showing up in my Instagram feed, like every other thing, you know, you're scrolling through, it's like better help. And, and there are so many ads. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. And that's actually yeah. how I got connected with you is through better help and their, their platform and their advertising is incredible because they're solving all of your problems. Like, Oh, what were the reasons why you didn't do counseling? Oh, it's because you had to drive somewhere. Oh, it's cause you couldn't find someone. Oh, it's because you didn't connect with that guy. Yeah. Oh, it's because you couldn't interview them and you had to stay with them and you those long-term contracts. Oh, we, we right. guess what? We, we did away with all of that. Now you can just connect with Dr. Paul. Yeah. Yeah, and they do. And I'm in, what, 17 countries right now? Right. You know? So I'm actually, the, uh, the way that our company works, we're all contractors. I'm a contractor. And mm-hmm. we work with an agency. And the agency, they curate content. or I'm not sorry, not content. They curate human beings. And then they present those human beings to you. And you can hire them. And they they pay them. But they keep probably half the money. So you pay them right. $80 an hour. They're getting 40 And that's because right. they curate humans. That's a fucking right. really difficult job to have someone on standby yeah. who can do whatever it is that I want them to do. 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there is something to that, you know. Uh, being able to work uh, through your platform with these guys, I think that's a more direct route. And yeah. I think that'll be, uh, there'll be some value to that. So, yeah. so Paul, this is the last piece I, I think we should talk about and then we can, sure. we can hustle on. But mm-hmm. the, the approach that I want to take with you is coaching and counseling. And I know that you said that you did that before where you kind of dovetail into it, but have you ever worked with someone where they're working on one piece of the puzzle and you're working on the other and you kind of work together in unison and then meet together at the end? Or do you work together literally in sessions with one guy and then you have two therapists at one time? How do you do that? So let me see if I understand your question, right? So like the, the idea that I hold and hold a, a process or have an active process going for the client that is different than the one they're currently working on. Is that what you were speaking to? Like, All right. So let me, let me give you a real example. Let's say we, yeah, yeah. Hi, we hired Jimmy and Jimmy wants coaching yep. for me and he wants therapy from Paul. And yep. so he meets with you four times a week or a month yep. and he work, he meets with me twice mm-hmm. a month. And my yep. goals with Jimmy are very different than yours. We're going to work Absolutely. on, his appearance. We're going to work on his diet. We're going to work on all these really 
very specific things that are not related to what you're doing. Yep. And then after three months, we're going to connect and make sure that we're all on the same page and we're going to, you know, launch them off into the world as a new human. Or is it right. we get together and we do group sessions where you and I together talk to Jimmy at the same time, like a, like this, and we talk to him. Now, I, I like your I like your first idea. You know, because yeah. we've kind of we've kind of kicked this around. But I think that the sense that that uh, what the your idea of of the application of the coaching is is a structural movement, and I think that what I would be working on is supporting and removing anything that obstructed that. So any thought processes, any historical yes. narratives, yeah. <laughs> anything that they that they're currently holding, uh, like I was so doing with Favre there, where it was what motivates you to use yeah. that? How do right. you? Why do you go to it? What is what makes it efficient at what it does? And then breaking that down and figuring out origins and, and sorting it, and then getting it out of the way or replacing. It. Generally, it's always replacing it with something else. And, and then using that as a way to motivate them towards your structure and your goals. Right. So okay. it is kind of a launch pad, if you will. So the way I see things is I am the destroyer. You are the rebuilder. I say, this is what's really fucked up with you. Why don't you go talk to Paul on how to fix it? I am not providing the solutions oftentimes. I'm just telling you yeah. what's wrong. I am really, really adept at talking to human beings, having them tell me their stories and then fucking rip them apart. Tell him exactly what's wrong with it and say, I know this guy down the street. His name's Paul. He's a mechanic. All the things I just described that is wrong with your vehicle, he will fix it for you on the fucking jiffy, real cheap like. Actually, probably won't be cheap. Fix, be, it, it, fix it with you. Fix it with you. He'll fix it with you and it <laughs> yeah, won't be go. cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like something you can leave and then I'll pick it up on Tuesday and it'll be better. But it's, do you also understand yeah. the model too of fast, quick? cheap you can only pick yep. two and i would say your business model is it's probably not going to be quick it's probably it going to take some time it just depends this is the thing i really love about motivated intelligent uh men is that that there's not a lot of shit that gets in their way yeah. and so if they if we recognize a pattern or we recognize a narrative we recognize some destructive element that's that's blocking them from the goals that you see are relevant for them then it's often just a few steps to, to move it in a different direction. Okay, so let's make it personal. What what do you think were some of the obstructions you helped me clear up that helped me just launch off in a space? What, what were the big ones that you helped me uh, reframe or yeah. fix? Yeah, yeah. The first one right off the bat was that that desire to fix all the problems. Like that, you took everything and turned it into a problem that you had the solution to fix. And it, it just engaged you in so much combative language and, and structure that you were constantly getting fucked. Like you just, you just, it just kept getting your ass kicked. And yeah. and it wasn't because you were, you couldn't win. It was because I... of the fact that it was, it just was, it was, there wasn't a problem to solve. And that's often what ends up happening is that, you know, we tend to be problem solvers. We like to use tools to solve problems and, and women like to build problems that don't actually exist. And and so part of it is us our willingness to not engage in that. And it, it just took took a bit for you to go, oh right, there's not an actual problem here. Not only that, I don't have to say anything right now. <laughs> I can actually I can actually sit back. I can actually just maybe use one sentence instead of a paragraph. Oh, I don't have to take a shot at this person because uh, they don't, it doesn't buy me anything. I've slowed my reactive process down. We slowed your emotional kind of processing down and you were able to go, wait a second, is this valuable to me? Right. Does it be more strategic with your language 
and and less of it and you found that it boy so i would say if you could boil it down what you did for me is you mm-hmm. helped me to be non-reactive and then to decide where i pour my energy where am i going to dump it i have a big pot of energy i could dump it yep. over here i could dump it over here then you help me be like well how about you pour it over here looks like this needs some help why don't we assess yeah. that make sure this is where it needs to get poured yeah take some right. time make sure right. and then pour it over there great <clears throat> and then pay attention to what works and 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 do more of that yeah it's because we can easily get fixated on the negative and then all we're doing is just rebuilding the negative and then doing it again and then doing it again and our self-esteem collapses and our self-capacity falls apart and people start pointing it out to us and then we're we're in a dark hole at that point i would say the most important thing that you taught me recently was in relation to my children, the way I parented, the way I saw myself, just the whole remapping of that whole situation, which freed me up to just be the dad that I can be in my current capacity, instead Mm -hmm. of trying to be the dad that I can't be, because that dad doesn't exist in my realm. Yeah. You helped me reframe my whole vision of dad, the whole way I communicate as dad. And that was honestly, out of all the stuff that we've worked through, all the mental models and everything, rebuilding the idea of who I am and how I move through the world and how I communicate and how I expect other people to communicate with me and how I call them back to that and say, what type of man do you think I am? Like, who, who am I? Is this the guy that you, you think you're talking to or is it this guy? And having them actually tell me who they think they are and then um, having them understand, well, actually, it's this over here. Yeah. That was just a confusing right. old version of me that you might have been confused with. Because it's really confusing. There were different versions yeah. of me, but this is the current version. This is the real one. Yeah. This is the one that understands his power and capacity and understands he doesn't have to tell it to you. He doesn't exp- have to explain it to you. He doesn't have to show it to you. He can actually quietly just leave. Just go and, do things. And, and feel uh, even more empowered from the event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think, you know, one of the just to speak to that, that one of the goals that I think I really want to get through this is that there was just a recent study that was released that that men in, in the age bracket, like 18 to 35, uh, are they account for three quarters of all suicides in the United States. And, and I think, you know, men aren't talking and they aren't being heard and they're not being uh, encouraged to talk about what's difficult for them. And, and things that are failing and not and that they're stuck in. And so I think if we can give voice to that, if we can yeah. give empowerment to that, if we can give community to that dialogue, then we're going to serve uh, in, and support people to, to not go down that dark hole and to move themselves in a better direction. Because I think that's a huge, it'll, it's huge. I want to turn that number. Yeah. So one of the guys I follow on Instagram, his name is Tom DeBlas, and he's always posting about men and suicide and all these same topics that are probably near and dear to your heart. And he's just an an incredible human being. And I've been watching what he's doing. And I I, I wanted to just give a shout out to him for that work. And he's really bringing recognition to men and how they feel and their emotions and, and bring mental health to the forefront because it's all that keeps happening right now. He's one of the few people who are, who are actually talking about it. Good. Yeah, because there isn't a lot. I mean, and, and you know, you can often find yourself a, a, a small voice in a dark forest. And uh, we just need to continue to amplify voices and, and get people out there. And so as a community, uh, that's one of our goals. It's one of our goals is to, is to 
turn that number around and do mm -hmm. it through through dialogue and and support so, so i would say if there's anyone out there and you're listening to this and you don't have a community you don't have anyone to talk to you have no idea how to get plugged in ruckus can give you a link to our discord and you can join that the um, if if pricing is an issue for you or if you feel like uh, financially you can't do it just yep. message the group we'll take care of you it's not a big deal yeah. um, there is help there is support and we will sponsor people who need coaching there's there are all kinds of opportunities within our community and there are people who will help you so don't Absolutely. suffer in silence come get help it's here thank you yeah good Cool. So great, Ruckus, yeah, please share a link to the discord, let people, um, join. I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know you're listening. So however you're disseminating Ruckus information, magic. he's literally magic. He's on he like magic. 14 platforms right now. He's traveling through time and space. I don't even know where he is or what country <laughs> he's, he's in. He's dressed like Lex Friedman. He's, yeah. he's like, uh, he, he outdid me, man. I was going to go for the tie and, and shirt today. And I, I just stepped back from it the last second. Cause I'd been working out before we got on and I was too hot. He's like, I'm not putting a fucking shirt and tie on. I was like 105 degrees. That's hilarious. But well, uh, you yeah. can't see my lower hemisphere, but I have like bathing suit on. So I'm going to go get in the hot tub. <laughs> um, this I just put on just for the show. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah classy, very classy. Dude. Ruckus was like, I'm going to go change my shirt. And then he comes back wearing a tie. So I had to change. He crushed us both, man. That fucker. both. All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much. This has been an incredible pilot. Thank you so much for your time. You bet, I really appreciate it. And I'm hoping that great. we can do this again in the future and get some more Absolutely. people to interact with us and talk to us. And yep. if you guys are looking for someone to talk to, reach out. We're on the Discord. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, it's all, all the things are out there. Uh, Ruckus will link them. All right. Take cool. care of yourselves.